It is great to be back with you all, and uh, it is truly a joy to be with you as Chelsea and I and our family have been away for the last few weeks. And you know, we go to uh, when we're gone on vacation uh, or we were at, on a retreat, and we go to other churches. And some churches we like, and some churches, to be honest, we don't like, but our hearts are always here. And uh, this is our church family, and so it is really a joy to be with you. And, and just to let you know, we had a great time. We, Chelsea and I had a retreat, and we really connected with the Lord. We were able to go to a marriage conference. We uh, had a great family vacation. And I could sense at various points, I knew I had a church uh, family that was praying for me. So thank you to all, uh, for, all, for all of your prayers. And everything I heard... The, the church is still standing, so that's good. But everything I heard, uh, things went very well, and I really appreciate all those that delivered God's Word and, and helped in other ways. And so thank you and praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to jump back into Acts. This is where we are at, and this is where we're going to keep going. And, uh, and I'm going to pick up where Darren left off last week. And by the way, Darren has been doing an excellent job. I am very thankful for the... Amen. Praise the Lord. I am very uh, thankful that Darren is able to fill in as interim uh, ministry director. Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick up at verse 9 and go through verse 21 this morning. Acts chapter 8, uh, 9 through 25 actually, I think I said 21, 9 through 25. And here is a transition point in the book of Acts. Remember we were kind of given an outline in Uh, 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And here's the transition. Now the gospel is going forth to Samaria. And and this is what we see happening this morning. Let's read this passage together. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, he, then, or, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the power that was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? 
You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be, for, may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray. Father God, now as we look at your word, we pause and we remember that this is your word, and it is your spirit who is our teacher. And so God, we submit to your will and pray that you would come and you would speak to us and you would help us Give us strength to obey, because we realize that even that is a grace. And so, God, may you guide us and lead us forward and help us to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of what we do on vacation each year is we go visit my uh, parents in Iowa. Now, no one goes to Iowa for vacation unless you have family there. So we are there visiting family. And, uh, when we, and when we were there, I always noticed right off the bat, this is not Southern California. This is a whole nother world. We get, it, we get into the airport, we rent a car, and we get on the road, and my first thought is, why is everyone driving so slowly? Uh, we're used to going 75 miles an hour down the freeway. There's cars all around us. We get on country roads in which you don't see somebody for miles, and the speed limit is 55, and guess what? They actually drive 55 miles an hour. I'm thinking, what is going on here? But I've learned I drive the speed limit, because last time we were there, I got in the car two blocks out of the, out of the parking lot of the rental car, and I got pulled over. So I've learned my lesson. I try to keep my eye on, this, on the uh, speed gauge there. But there are, it's a whole nother world. Dawson uh, was getting bored on the way to our house. It's a long, we drive, my parents live out in no man's land. We do, and at the airport, it's still another two and a half hours drive. And so we're in the car, and he's getting antsy, and I finally tell him, Dawson, 10 more miles, that's all there is. And he says, how many cars do you think we'll see in 10 miles? And I said, okay, let's play a game. Kill the time here. I think 12. Chelsea says 15. Kinsey says 45. Why? Because anytime we play a guessing game, Kinsey says 45. That's her favorite number. I don't know why. You know what Dawson says? Zero. You know who won the game? Dawson did. All right. And uh, it's a whole nother world. Uh, the highlight of the, uh, some of the highlights, catching fireflies at night, catching toads in the, in the ditch, and uh, these are the things that we do. My town, as I said, my parents' town is a very small town. When I, gra- when I left uh, that area, the town was 600 people. I think it's less now. And I'm being serious. That's, that's literally the population. When I was in, how many of you went to a high school in which you had, if you wanted to play a sport, you had to make the team? Like they were, there were cuts. Most of you probably went to a high school that was large enough 
that there were some people that were in and some people that were out. We just hoped we had enough kids that would show up to have a team. In fact, this is true. My high school doesn't exist anymore. My graduating class was 29 people. They got down to about a dozen and they closed the door. And so it's kind of sad. But I'm going to I bring this up about uh, these cut and no-cut sports because that transi- transitions us into the passage this morning. We're going to ask the question, who's in and who's out? And uh, I was down at a carnival a, f- a, few, a few months ago and uh, we were with some friends and my friend, big, play, big carnival, lots of people there. My friend turns to me and he says, let's assume there's 3,000 people here. How many of them do you think are going to hell? And I, I take him back by the question, first of all, I don't know anybody here except for you and your wife and your kids. And, and so I don't know their hearts. And at the same time, uh, I know that only Jesus is the judge. But I know the motivation behind his question. His motivation was, was a good motivation. It's, it's motivated out of this idea of evangelism. If there's a lot of lost people here, we should be praying for them and seeking uh, to witness to them. It's a question of who's in and who's out. Now, obviously, as I, uh, as I just kind of hinted at, this can be a very dangerous type of exercise to estimate who's in and who's out. But at the same time, we oftentimes do this kind of unconsciously. We make this, we look at someone's life and we consider, are they really genuinely a Christian or are they not? And there's some benefits to that. Like I said, evangelism and when we think about church ministry, getting people plugged into the ministry and, and, uh, and who might not uh, be a Christian that we might want to make sure we guard the teaching and these type of things. And so there's some dangers, but there is also a healthy aspect that if with godly wisdom and discernment, there are some benefits to us as a church as we, if we think carefully along these lines, especially with great humility. And this is what we see happening here in this passage. The Christians in Jerusalem hear that there are people in Samaria that are getting saved. And so they send down two of their best, Peter and John, to check it out, to see if it seems legit, if it seems that these people are really receiving the Lord Jesus. Now, Samaria is an interesting area. First of all, I want to throw up a map here just to to give us a lay of the land. First of all, it is a city. It is about 42 miles north of Jerusalem. But then you also see in the, in the darker green area there, it, be, it over time becomes known as a region as well. In the Old Testament, this uh, region of Samaria has some significance. It used to be part of what we call the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And then at one point, the Assyrians attack. And, this, and the Assyrians conquer the uh, Israelites that are living there and begin to take and to begin to inhabit the land. And this is very significant over the course of time because as they inhabit the land, as you can guess, Israelites begin to marry the, the Assyrians. It's only natural, except there is a problem. The Old Testament law prohibited that. 
The Old Testament law said that only Israelites should only marry fellow Israelites. And so those that were considered the pure Israelites began to look down on the children of these mixed marriages. And over time it wasn't and over time those that were known as Samaritans were actually those that came from uh, families that had intermarried. Now the Israelites, those that were, that were, as I said, kind of pure Israelites, they looked down on these Samaritans tremendously because they looked at it as a corruption of the law. And the, they saw them not only as ethnically uh, um, and racially corrupted, but spiritually they were miles apart as well. We get a little picture of this if we jog our minds back to the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Remember, uh, this Samaritan woman is so surprised that Jesus is even talking to her. How can you, being a Jew, talk to me, being a Samaritan? And as they talk, she asks him a question that for the longest time I thought, she must be trying to change the subject. This is a really weird question to ask. But if you know the history, it is actually a very crucial question. She, she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. This was, the, this was spiritually speaking, theologically speaking, this was the dividing line between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans believed that, it, that their place of worship was to be on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews believe that they are to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. So they had all of these divides. They had spiritual divides that, thought that they believed they worshipped different gods. And so I highlight all of that uh, background to make the point and to emphasize that when these Jewish Christians, because up until now, all Christians come from, Jew come from a Jewish background. When these Jewish Christians hear that the Samaritans are receiving Christ, I am sure that the first thing that pops into their mind is, there's no way that can't happen. From little children, they've been ingrained that there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. The parable of the good Samaritans is an oxymoron. All Samaritans are bad. And so when they hear this, there's doubts in their minds. They send people down to ask questions. And I wonder what kind of questions Peter and John asked. We can imagine that they, want, they wanted to know for sure if the Samaritans grasped who Jesus was and uh, grasped that he died on the cross for their sins and he rose on the third day so that they can have new life in him. They wanted to know, did they understand what faith was and what baptism was? Did they understand what repentance was, that it was not just asking for forgiveness, but turning away from their sins? They wanted to know if they understood the gift of the Holy Spirit. And after questioning them on all of these things, it seems that we can gather from the text that they checked every box except the last one. They had not received the Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting. Again, if we back up and we think about it, this is way outside of the norm for our experience. 
It's way outside of the norm for every other believer's experience in the Bible and throughout church history. What the norm is, and this is always the case, that when a person first believes in Jesus, God sends his spirit to come and to take up residence in their heart right off the bat. Now we, can lay, now, we oftentimes lay on hands and we pray that there would be an increase of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would grow in a person's heart. But the normal way, of, uh, the way that God operates all the time is that the Holy Spirit comes immediately. But that's not what happens here. There's an interim period in which the apostles come and they lay on hands and then they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if this is so unique, it is only natural to ask why. And the best that I can think of, the reason God does it differently here is because the early Jewish Christians needed to learn a lesson that was extremely hard for them to grasp, and that is this, that the gospel can penetrate anyone's heart. That's the first point of today's sermon, that the gospel can penetrate anyone's heart. For those of us that have been in the church for a long time, that is the most simple of of points. Like you're thinking, okay, that's really easy to grasp. I've known that since I was a little kid. Well, this point is not necessarily aimed so much for our mental understanding as it is towards our heart. Because even though we, we can readily agree that the, that the gospel can penetrate anyone's heart, I think, I, at least I wonder if too often, maybe it's even subconsciously, we think, I don't think that person will ever be saved. Or I don't think that person could ever be saved or would ever be saved. Or at least I don't think that person would ever be saved here in in our church. And maybe it is based on the way they look, or maybe it's the way they sound, or maybe it's because of the sins that they come with and and it's certain things that we look and we rule them out. Or maybe it's because of their history or the background, but we think, not that person, not here, In biblical times, a person might have asked, how could a person from Jerusalem and a person from Samaria stand next to each other worshiping God? And the answer is, only by the power of Jesus. In 2018, we might ask different questions. How could a well-educated black family man stand next to a working poor white single mom and they really worship together and worship the same God? The answer is still the same. It is only by the power of Jesus. How can an Asian family treat a Hispanic family like they are actually brothers and sisters? And I mean really interact with each other, not just Uh, in acquaintance ways, but they enter into life together as there are brothers and sisters. Again, the answer is only by the power of Jesus. And now the really hard one. How can a USC Trojan and a UCLA Bruin (laughs) actually love each other 
And the answer is only by the power of Jesus and not during football season. (laughs) No, I, I joke, but in all seriousness, all of this is available through, only through the power of Jesus. Our society today is so divided. It's divided politically. All all the time it seems like we are divided more and more racially. We're divided socioeconomically. We're divided educationally. And we could just keep on listing all the gaps. And the only person that really has the power to close the gaps is Jesus Christ. This is the first point of this passage, that the gospel is open to everyone. And so let's boil it down for a second to the really personal. Maybe you are here today and you are unsure if God could ever actually really save you. You've done some stuff in your past and maybe you don't even want to admit it to anyone else, let alone to yourself, and you think God could never really love me. Here's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is open to anyone and everyone. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you think you know, I'm not really that bad. I haven't done anything that I don't think God would send me to hell. But the gospel, again, is that it is for everyone. The Bible teaches us that all of us, in light of God's holiness, have fallen far short. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this uh, story, but in my previous church, we had uh, two guys that... uh, had pretty rough backgrounds and came to know Jesus. And oftentimes they would see each other in church. Sometimes they'd stand next to each other and worship. Sometimes they'd talk after the service. And it was only after a few years that they were both Christians that they were talking and they realized they began to put some pieces together. Both of them were ex-gang members. Both of them had been involved in gangs before they were Christians. And uh, they began to talk about this. They realized that they were in rival gangs. And, they be- and so they continued to explore. And they, ta- and they realized that at one time in their B.C., in their before Christ days, they had actually been in a gang fight in which they had shot at each other. And now they stand in church as brothers together worshiping God. Only the power of Jesus can do that. We are, West Covina Christian Church is a very unique church. This is one of the most diverse churches I have ever been in. I mean, even attended or visited. We have people from every race, every ethnicity. We have people from every age group and category, income level, education level. You name it, this is a diverse church. And not every, in fact, most churches are not that way. Most churches are either one ethnicity or one age group, one uh, income. Most of the members have a similar income level or education level. And so, first of all, we ought to praise the Lord. We ought to rejoice in that and realize that is a gift from God, a blessing, that we understand intuitively because of the way the people that God has brought together with us, that the gospel can penetrate anyone's heart. And then I just want to challenge us, if that is a gift of God, let's take full advantage of it. You know, it's one thing just to gather at 10.30 on Sunday morning, and that is wonderful. 
But it is a blessing to then be intentional about forming relationships with people that are very different than I am or than, than you are. Once in a while, it's a wonderful thing to sit down and have lunch with someone who's a lot older or a lot younger. It's a lot easier just to sit with your own age group and to sit with people that have a similar background and a similar, and a similar family history. But, it is, but we, if we only do that, we're missing out on some of the blessings of the kingdom that are right here available in, in a unique way at West Covina Christian Church. And so I just challenge us, let's take full advantage of it. Let's stay for lunch and eat with someone who has a really different background. In fact, you can invite someone over to your house or your apartment, and you could invite someone. You don't have to have a great place. You could be a 20-something-year-old who's struggling to make ends meet and invite an elderly widow of the church, and that would be a wonderful thing. See, there are so many opportunities. Join a Bible study that's with people that are way different than you are. Now, at first, the benefits don't seem to be as ready. I mean, it's a lot easier to make a quick connection with someone who's got a very similar background. But in the long run, the deep blessings of the kingdom of God are available if we take full advantage of this. And so this is my first point. The gospel can penetrate anyone's heart. The second point is that personal salvation can be deceptive. When we consider the question, who's in and who's out, not everyone who looks like they are in really is. Personal salvation can be deceptive. Here we see the story of Simon. Simon, from outward appearances, seems for sure that he is in. Look at verse 13. Then even Simon believed. So he believed, and then he, after being baptized, he was baptized. He continued with Philip. So in other words, he keeps going, he keeps attending church, so to speak, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So he even had amazement on what was taking place. It seems that he checks all the boxes, but then as we continue reading on the story, we see that Simon was a long ways from really being a true believer. When he sees that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to these Samaritans by the laying on of hands, he says to the apostles, give me that. Here's some money. I want to have that gift. Remember, he's a magician. He's a sorcerer. And so what he's after is he wants to be able to amaze people as well by having this gift. And Peter says, oh man, that shows your heart. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. In other words, you're still stuck in your sin. You're still enslaved to your sin. Now, if Simon would have repented, as Peter told him to do, we would have a whole different passage. But, Peter, but Simon never does that. In fact, he doesn't even pray the way Peter challenges him to pray. 
He doesn't, he, I think he knows deep down in his heart he's not, has, he doesn't have a relationship with God. He says, pray for me that, basically he says, pray for me that nothing bad will happen to me. That these things that you have said would not come true in my life. It is a scary thought to think that there are some who have all the appearances of salvation, have all the appearances of being a Christian, but in their hearts they have not really believed. Unfortunately, this is the reality in every church that I know of. There are people who attend regularly They have even been baptized, as Simon was. They've even seek to serve in ministry, as Simon seems to want to do. And from outward appearances, they look like they're Christians. But deep down inside, we may have, if we have some godly discernment, we get get a hint that that is not really their heart. You know, I am always glad to see everyone at church every Sunday. My, my heart rejoices. I am so glad when someone volunteers and says, I want to be baptized or I want to serve in the ministry. But wouldn't it be a tragedy that if we serve alongside of one another and see one another in church every week, and yet we don't see one another when we get to heaven? Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he even goes on to talk about how there are those who do ministry, who do miracles in his name. And he will say to some, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Simon was missing something crucial that we could be in danger of missing as well. He wanted to be able to give the Holy Spirit to some, but he didn't have the Holy Spirit himself. And so before we move on, I just want to challenge us to think along these lines as well, just to examine our hearts. Churches in America today are too often filled with people that have the same concerns as Simon did. They don't really want their hearts to be cleansed and made righteous. They want to escape hell. They don't want bad things to happen to them, just like Simon. They want to escape hell. They want to make sure they don't have sickness in their family and that they're financially prosperous. But this righteousness thing, take it or leave it. But God has created us for so much more. So let's just talk about this. How can we be confident that we are right with God? Well, first of all, I just want to say it is not by having all the right answers. You can learn the right answers and not be saved. John Wesley said, orthodoxy or right opinion is at best a very slender part of religion. There may be a right opinion of God without either love or one right temper towards him. Satan is proof of that. And so let's look at our hearts. Do you even right now in this moment trust Jesus with all your heart? 
Do you love him with all your heart, being willing to forsake all else and say, Jesus, you are number one. I believe in you right now, and I love you with all my heart. If that is genuinely your heart, don't concern yourself if you're, whether you're saved or not. You are. That is, what, uh, that is how we enter into a real relationship with Jesus. And that will flow out of our actions. That's what we see happen to Simon. Eventually, his real heart comes out in what he says. And so does, your li- does the fruit of your life show evidence of what is in your heart, that there is, that there is uh, signs through your words and your actions and your attitudes? Now, this is all to give us the challenge to look at our hearts, but also to have confidence if we, have, if we are saved. And if not, today is the day of salvation that we can give our lives and place our hearts in, uh, to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to have to skip some stuff because I am out of time. Uh, but let me, let me uh, highlight just a couple other things. I, wanna, I gave an application uh, that, is, that highlights the deceptiveness of Simon's heart, but I, I just really feel like I want to give an application uh, that relates to the deceptiveness of Simon's heart. Uh, and this application is aimed for those of us that don't really have doubt about our salvation, that have been Christians for a long, long time. Peter talks to Simon here about, and this is the wording he uses here in verse 22, the intent of his heart. Simon's attitude reminds us that the Christian faith and even ministry can be done with the wrong intent, that it can be self-serving, that we can do good things for wrong reasons, to gain personal power, to make ourselves look good, to have prestige. And Peter says this is to to have no part in the matter. So are we staying focused on glorifying God? Are we doing everything for him or have we so deceived ourselves and others that we are not really motivated for God, for, by love for God and for others? See, this is a challenge for me personally as well. You know, it is easy to stand up here on Sunday morning and to somehow hope that you think well of me and to think that, uh, that my sermon would come across and it would build myself up. That cannot be in the ministry. That this, that whatever we do has to be motivated out of a love for Jesus and a love for our brothers and sisters. To serve oneself, we have to guard against that, guard our hearts. As the Bible says, the heart is deceitful about all things. Okay, point number three, just in case you want to fill out your outline, protect the purity of the church. And I'll just say, I've learned this the hard way. I've learned this the hard way. It's, it's, at my previous church, there was some times I needed to protect the purity of the church, and I didn't have the courage to do it. Uh, and it caused the church to be unhappy, and it caused the growth to hinder, be hindered. Uh, sometimes you have to ask people to leave. And that sounds very, very awful at first. But we have to protect the purity of the church 
so that it is full of joy and that others are inviting others in. And that's what we see happened in this passage. Okay, let me close with one story. And then I promise I'll be done. Sorry I went long. Blame Shugo, by the way. <laughs> Quit talking so long. Uh, when I was on my vacation, one of the things you do in Iowa when you go on vacation is you, visit, you go places that you would never otherwise go to. And we went to an antique tractor show. That's a high, that is, boy, that's, that's really living it up if you live in Iowa. <laughs> antique tractor shows. And you know, everybody's walking around praising these old tractors as if this is something great. And uh, praising old tractors, they're praising the old sawmill and how it cuts the wood. There's a potato picking contest. And uh, here's a picture of Dawson with his potato. People are bragging about their potatoes. We love to praise all kinds of things. In fact, we can't help but talking about the things that we enjoy. We praise movies. We praise good books. We praise our loved ones. We talk about all kinds. We talk about an uncluttered freeway. Once in a while, we'll even praise a politician. And that is once in a while. That doesn't happen very often. But my point is we can take all these things that we take joy in, we praise. Wouldn't it be a weird thing if you saw the best movie you had ever seen and then you never told anybody about it? You never expressed your joy? You never said to somebody, you got to go see that movie. It would be just as weird if we are so filled with the joy of Jesus and we don't ever tell anybody about him. And this is the prayer for my own heart that as I grow in my joy and my love of God that I couldn't help but tell others. And this is my prayer for the whole church. Oh, the joy of knowing Jesus, of having the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts and having fellowship and partnership with Jesus. And as we see in this passage, but we know over and over again, it can't be earned. It can't be bought. It is the free gift of salvation. What a joy. So, practical application. In four weeks from today, we have Fun Fest, right? Fun Fest is a day of joy. It is a day for us to come together and we're going to just talk about the gospel in the sermon. The sermon's going to be the good news of Jesus. And we're going to sit and we're going to have fun. And this is what a wonderful opportunity for you to invite someone to come to church and to see what it's all about. And so I encourage us, if our hearts are filled with joy, if we really love God, to think about who is it that we could invite to come and join us on FunFest. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. It's a joy to be back with West Covina Christian Church. And I pray that you would continue just to cultivate in our church a spirit of joy. And God, help us just to fall in love with you more and more every day and every week, every worship service. May we just continue to grow as we understand that this free gift of salvation is offered to every one of us and help us to take full advantage of it. God, help us to enter into a deeper and deeper relationship with you all the time. And so bless us in this way, because we know that when you are glorified, we will be filled with joy. Glorify yourself in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.